Welcome to the Digital Thoughts Podcast. My name is Zan Sayed, and I am a pharmacist turned product manager. I have almost 10 years of clinical experience in oncology, ranging from inpatient all the way to outpatient. My goal with this podcast is to bring people from all sides of the conversation together so that we can learn from each other and build a better healthcare system. In this podcast, we discuss everything digital health from the people to the products. If you do enjoy what you listen to, please consider giving this podcast a five-star rating in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really does help a lot. Thank you very much, and let's get into the episode. Today, we have an awesome guest. Alex Meersperger is a global healthcare principal at SAS, and he's the co-founder of the Advancement League. In this episode, we talk about the future of AI in healthcare, how the Advancement League started from a road trip, what is the Young Health Leader Summit, and his career journey, and why it's so important to find people that'll champion you. It was a jam-packed episode. I hope you guys enjoyed as much as I did. Hey, Alex, how are you doing? I am doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. Uh, Rep in Brazil, I see, huh? Right. My wife is Brazilian, so happy happy wife, happy life, (laughs) and uh, happy home. I'm also a Brazil fan as well. Um, So, you know, we're, we're starting off on the right foot here. But yeah, no, for those who don't know who you are, do you mind giving us a little introduction? Yeah, happy to. Again, Alex Maersberger, I am by day a global principal in the healthcare practice at SAS, the global leader in AI and analytics, and by night, co-founder of the Advancement League, a healthcare membership platform and home to the premier event that we have, the Young Health Leader Summit. No, that's, that's, I mean, do you sleep ever? <laughs> and then I, so I have three kids, so it's not the jobs that let me not sleep. It's the uh, four-year-old boy right now. Oh, well, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so uh, before we get into um, your, you know, the, the Youth Health Leadership Summit, uh, so SAS, uh, the company that you're working for, you, so they do a little work in AI. So how, first of all, what, what, what is your actual job there? And then like, where do you see kind of it going? Like, where do you see AI going in healthcare? Maybe, maybe it's a theme of having multiple jobs, even within my job. But I, so I, I came to SAS uh, from the healthcare background of hospital. So startups first, a large telehealth startup, and then hospital administration, a lot of outpatient administration on the orthopedic side, and then health plan leadership. And so I was on the corporate strategy and consumer experience team at both Geisinger health plan, and then Blue Cross North Carolina. And so came to SAS in a very industry consulting role. And so sort of split between influencing product development, influencing sales, uh, and influencing marketing. And so representing SAS as sort of the face of consumer experience in the market, which was a lot of fun and joined our global industry marketing team about a year ago. And so I joked of having multiple jobs, uh, day jobs. So half of my time is probably external. And so speaking at events, trying to evangelize analytics uh, across the globe and translating what our customers are doing for others. Uh, And then half is internal, uh, enabling the communities that we've built internally uh, across the globe for healthcare and life sciences uh, to be able to talk about what our new products are. Uh, We launch, obviously, products. uh, And so that's a lot of fun. And then I also host the SaaS Health Pulse podcast, our corporate podcast for healthcare, where I get to interview interesting world leaders uh, across the healthcare and life science ecosystem. And so it's been a ton of fun. SaaS has been wonderful to me. Uh, AI and healthcare. So SaaS, it's interesting because you just got to talk about like the very definition of AI. It gets so much hype and 
Sess, I, I just sat through a uh, incredible couple day event where leaders from one of the top universities in the world over in the UK were visiting SaaS. And so they've had a long contractual relationship, customer relationship with SaaS. Uh, and so they were visiting to share, here's what we're doing. Here's what we would like to do. Here's where the partnership has been. Here's where we want the partnership to go. And it's interesting as they talked about the AI and how they see it in the European market and where the regulations are. I say a lot of things that people are talking about as AI we've done for 30 years. Uh, it's just sort of logistical regression models and uh, different math and science and uh, adaption. So some of it is just how do you define it and what does it mean? But I do think the future of AI, and we've heard a little bit, there's some really good examples of where it's used even at the bedside by physicians now. And there's some really leading organizations who are pushing the boundaries and edges. There's obviously a lot of people waiting on the um, the regulatory side, especially here in the United States. I think there's a lot of apprehension of, can we use it for clinical decisions right now? And is it gonna re replace physicians and different things? And so I'm usually on the hype scale. I think I have a, a good pessimism and a, good, a healthy balance of pessimism and optimism. So I think everyone who's out there right now saying, AI is gonna doom the world and really quickly take over everything and there will be no more physicians in the next five years. Like people are throwing out these crazy aggressive timelines and crazy aggressive predictions. I think very much if we look back to the sort of peak pandemic time predictions, there was a bunch of leading experts in the world, even on the healthcare side, saying that uh, events would never come back. And they were like, now that people are in their homes, like no one's ever going to go to a big gathering anymore. And uh, we've obviously seen record numbers at Disney, uh, at their parks. We've seen record numbers at Beyonce and Taylor Swift concerts, seen record numbers at indoor sporting events. And so obviously those came roaring back. And so I think you can temper your expectations quite a bit just in societal sort of hype trains. But I do think AI will have a great place in healthcare, uh, especially on the life science side and drug discovery. That's where I'm really excited about. I think there's uh, some exciting things on the life science side, some applications for how do you cross-reference drugs and how do you get drugs that are for one indication uh, for potential other uses and things. I think we'll find some interesting things that through big language models and neural networks and the different applications. And then on the healthcare side, I do think there's going to be really good application for just surfacing information to physicians. I still think it's a people business and it always will be a people business, but I do think there's great opportunity to sort of have, we, we sort of pretend that the finger to like the world's information is at your fingertips now, but it's really not in a convenient way. And I think we'll, we'll get closer to that. No, I agree with you. I don't, I think everything you said is exactly right. Uh, in the sense that, I mean, I think anytime a new technology comes around, like everyone is trying to understand it. Do you have like the early adopters that are like super excited about it? And they're like, yeah, we're going to, you know, they're trying to like hype everyone in. So they're like, Hey, this is going to change the world. It will. I mean, I think AI is going to be kind of but not now, but I think it's going to be akin to the industrial revolution, right? Like it's going to change a lot of things moving forward, but it's not going to replace like, like healthcare specifically clinicians, right? Like there's one thing you see like a lot, like, oh, it passed this test. It passed that test. It pa I mean, it's like an open book test, right? If I had Google open, I could pass those tests the same way, right? Like that's kind of how AI is working. It's, in, it's cool that a computer can do that on its own without any prompting. But, you know, if you gave any of us access to the internet and an internet connection, like, you know, we'd be fine. And I think what people forget, especially like if you've never worked in healthcare, is getting the answer is just like 10% of the job. 
now what you do with that answer like is it the right answer is it like how are you gonna how are you gonna make the how are you gonna educate the patient how are you gonna make them do that how are you gonna make them not make them but how are you gonna have them like choose decide like hey do you go with option a option b like all these things ai is nowhere even close to that you know like it ai is having like some trouble with like calculate you know like doing like some rudimentary math like there's some like interesting things out there where you know but like it's it's def i'm definitely hyped about it like i really like ai i think ml and all that stuff it's got a real it's it's got staying power especially in healthcare but it's just like the thing that frustrates me the most is it's just like people are spending so much time trying to replace the clinicians rather than just giving us tools to help us kind of like what you said right like yeah just get it get get us the information in a nice concise way so we can make our decisions based off of that and that is how if you're building an ai company and you want to really get legs and that's what you need to be doing right now because you don't have the data you don't have all that stuff to really create like a ml model because it's going to be wrong i'm just going to flat out say you're not you don't have enough data and the data just doesn't exist for you right now that definitely is a big challenge on the just amount of data side we we're talking just the explosion of real world evidence or real world data or just real time decisioning uh, is going to be a, a really interesting one is even we've seen it now companies have a hard enough time going through their historical data of here's what we have and so going through that historical data plus all the stuff that's happening in your real life and around your home and with all the sensors and the explosion of wearables and everything else uh, being able to start to sift through that and say what's relevant what matters how do you sort of talk about the backstory and the predict the future so a lot of opportunity there, probably a little bit higher on the hype cycle right now than in the the reality what we're seeing, uh, but definitely promise. Yeah, and then there's another thing that, um, and guys, I really do like KNML. It's sounding like like I'm like taking a stick out and just beating people, but you know, there's another there's another issue with like ML specifically, right? Like the black box nature of it, right? Even like people that have created ML or worked in ML their whole life, they don't know how the computer goes from A to B, right? Like because there's this algorithm that's happening and it's learn kind of learning on its own based on some model and they don't know how it got to that answer. And that is a concern in healthcare, right? Like we don't want to just release that and just like turn it on and just walk away. We can't do that. There's, we have to shepherd it along. And that's another, you know, I mean, that's another thing. I don't know if we'll ever solve it. I think we eventually will get past the black box nature of it, but that's, you know, but that is something that we need to talk about as well. That's actually one of the coolest parts of uh, SaaS and the historical perspective of SaaS as a private company for the last 45 years, one of the creators of the category or the actual creator of the category for analytics. Uh, the That black box nature, which sometimes you have that reputation of private company, commercial software, it's not open source, things like that. Number one, we play really well with open source now. And so you can write open source models within SaaS software and deploy them. But there's an actual scorecard, like a trustworthiness AI scorecard uh, within the model developer. And so it's really awesome to see. I was walking through a live demo or got walked through a live demo of it. Don't, don't get this, don't get words twisted. Like I'm building something on the back end here. Uh, I was getting walked through a live demo of this and really awesome to see almost like the, I almost say like when you're typing in a new password, which we all forget our passwords for everything and have to reset it a thousand times. And it now gives you those like seven things. It has to have so many characters. It has to be so long. It has to include an uppercase. It has to include, 
And if you don't have those, it pops up red and sort of shows you don't have three out of the seven of these or whatever it is. There's now a, a model management process where if you're on the back end coding and developing these algorithms, that you get flagged in the system that says you have, so it kind of flashes red or pops up and says, the data that you've selected for this doesn't have enough of X. And that means there's potential bias in this. Or of all these data sets, three out of the 50 of them uh, have this that you wouldn't want to include in this model because of this. And so you get that sort of real time while you're building it that says, this has a potential for bias, or this is going to introduce something that won't lead to it being able to be deployed. And so the trustworthy aspect of building a nature in a transparent way is really exciting to me and really fun and really awesome to see researchers on both sides of the globe or all sides of the globe coming together. SAS is one of the founding members of the uh, Coalition for Health AI, CHAI group. And so there's government sponsors from the US, there's observers, there's the biggest tech companies on earth and to have them walking around our campus and talking about how are you actually going to govern these models and who's responsible for it. If it touches a patient, how do you have to tell the patient that part of that decision was made by an algorithm and not a human, uh, all really exciting developments. And it's fun to have a, a very small part and piece in that story. That's very cool. I mean, um, I love open source. I'm a big proponent of open source and I think um, open source has a huge, I think open source and healthcare can really work really well, but you know, the, the, the trust score, that's actually really, that's really awesome actually. Cause you know, like just getting your hands on a data set doesn't mean that the data is good, if that yeah. makes sense. And then, so like, who, how are, how is that trust score being built? Is it like kind of like a, like a coalition of people kind of looking at it and expert opinion, or is it SAS by itself kind of dictating that? I would say a little bit of both. SAS has, uh, is, sits on the founding council for, like I said, at least on the healthcare side of the Coalition for Health AI and some other establishments. And so influencing policy and influencing the decision makers around and having that seat at the table around what should the regulations for healthcare AI look like specifically. And then the other, um, and so definitely building it. So within our own SAS culture, we have a vice president and chief of uh, trustworthy AI, responsible AI. Uh, and so you have a, a whole data ethics practice. And so you have the expertise on site and then learning from our customers. SAS has always been a very customer driven organization. And so getting to work across European hospitals that have very strict country standards or interoperability standards. And so being able to hear direct feedback from them of this is, it, you can't put an algorithm into production if it doesn't have these things. And so being able to go back and build a product that says, okay, for this part of the world, here's what we have to include. And here's how you have to be able to show it and prove it. And here's how it gets regulated. And here's how you get through an approval through those regulated bodies uh, helps influence our product in the United States and other places that haven't come out with as strict of standards. And so you kind of start to feel out for how does the product need to be built? So a little bit internal expertise and external listening. That's that's actually pretty cool. Um, and I think that's, I think responsible AI is the term you used. And I think that's going to be something that's going to pop up a lot more. And I think that right now we're in the wild, wild west nature of anything yeah. new, right? Like a throw chat GPT on it, or we're going to just follow everything. And eventually it's going to come to a point where things are going to go into production. And unfortunately, bad stuff is going to happen. And I think we're going to have to like, re, like, you know, rein it back in and be like, hey, what is the line that we're not willing to cross? And what 
how can we do this responsibly? And I think that's something that the fact that you guys are already thinking about that is is good because I don't think many people do think about that. They just think like, hey, we're going to automate everything. We're going to walk away and then we're going to be able to do this this other stuff when in reality, we're not that at that point yet, at least with the complexities of healthcare. Yeah, there might be other verticals that we might be able to do that. But with the complexities we're dealing with healthcare, it, it's not going to happen anytime soon. Yeah, there's the sort of saying of other industries kind of joke about life and death. And in healthcare, it's actual life yeah. and death. And so it is a, a huge difference from a, a deployment standpoint. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think that's the one thing that I think, like when, you, when you're dealing with healthcare, I think it's sometimes overlooked as, as dumb as that sounds, is like people's lives are on the other end of what you're building. And when you're talking to a clinician, you know, they might, you know, be like, oh, they're wet blankets, they don't want to do this. But in reality, like, you know, we are responsible for the end result, right? Like, that's, that's another thing that is going to be debated too, like with AI and ML, like, who is responsible for when something goes wrong? Is it the algorithm? Or is it the, or is it the provider? Like, right, right now, it's the provider. So like, you have to be very vigilant about what you're putting out there. And if you totally don't understand it, it's going to be hard for them to like, like, yeah, that's fine. So I mean, that's going to be another battle that's going to be waged, I mean, I think in the next decade. For sure. So, but let's move on to uh, the Advancement League. Uh, so how did this start? Like, I mean, you know, you're talking about, you know, your career in AI, in SaaS, and, you know, you're all working at Geisinger, all that stuff. So, and then how did, why, how you started the Advancement League? What is it? And, you know, why did you start it? Yeah, we, we say sort of accidental entrepreneurism. Uh, we were, I was fortunate to have an administrative fellowship and so a, a business leadership development program for hospital leadership. And so reported to the hospital CEO at a large academic medical center right out of graduate school. And really through lived experience, I, I very quickly realized, and I, when I say very quickly, I mean on my very first day of employment, realized that I probably didn't want to be a hospital administrator long-term. And it's really hard to articulate that. And I'd had internships, I'd worked sort of substantially across different hospitals and systems and things. But for some reason, there maybe it's my own uh, experiences, but you, you aren't able sometimes to articulate why you want to do something. So even experiencing hospital leadership and then having it as your actual physical day job, sort of forever job, is, was a very differing, jarring experience for me. And it's really hard to go at that time. I had a wife and a, a young child. And so it's really hard to go back to my wife or significant other and be like, hey, I, we have student debt and uh, we signed up for all this. And I don't know what I want to do. Uh, like nobody wants to hear that. And then it's hard to go to your boss and say, hey, I know you, you're paying me to train me to be like you. Uh, you've given me this great opportunity. I'm not sure I want it. So uh, and then some of even your peers are somewhat competitors in that career. Like they're on that path too. They're trying to make a name for themselves. And so it's really hard to go to them and be like, Hey, I don't know if like, we're all signed up for this. Like, do you like it? Do I like, like, it's just a very difficult time. So navigating that early career experience is really difficult. I was really fortunate to be surrounded with great people that I could feel comfortable and have that safe space with. And so mostly in, on the peer side, I was able to sit down over lunches and things and say, Hey, I, I don't really know. Uh, if this is for me, and here's some of the reasons why, here's some of the stuff I would like to do long-term, and I don't know if it exactly aligns with what we're doing. How are you feeling and what's going on? And through some of those examples, got 
good advice, got good sort of, hey, I have a friend who does started here and is doing something interesting now. And I was like, oh, I've never even heard of that something interesting now. Let's figure out if I can connect with them. So we started hosting what was called healthcare road trips, uh, and they were literal road trips to healthcare organizations. Essentially, it was two or three of us had a couple friends at different hospitals and health systems, health plans and things. And we would say, hey, for a weekend, we're going to drive out to our friends at the Cleveland Clinic. And we're literally crashing on their couch and hanging out with them for the weekend. And so it's interesting people at Geisinger where we were. It's interesting people at Cleveland Clinic will throw up a, a flyer on, for lack of better terms, on Instagram or wherever it was and just say, hey, if anybody wants to come, we're doing a healthcare road trip if you want to come talk healthcare. Those, we did three or four of them, and it turned out 50 or 60 people started showing up to these things. Uh, and so we said, what if we did this a little bit more formally? Now we probably need sponsors because we can't pay for everyone's lunch. Uh, we probably need to, if we're attracting this many people, maybe we could do it in an organized way and really do some good and spend extended time together. And so that's where the, the Young Health Leader Summit was born. And so we did a, a three-day event uh, and brought people together for a little bit more, like I said, extended time, created some intentional safe space so that you could still have those conversations and we're, uh, do some things a little bit differently that have people have responded to really well. Uh, and then from that experience, people started to love the Young Health Leader Summit and said, hey, we do this for three days a year. Could we figure out how to keep some of this energy going? Could we figure out how to keep continue uh, sort of delivering some good for communities and things. And so that's where Advancement League as a platform from a membership standpoint started. And so one thing has led snowballed to the next and next, and we've been really fortunate to have great supporters and backers, board of advisors, uh, incredible friends that continue to support us. So really thankful for it. That's, that's awesome. Um, so this healthcare road trip, like, was it, was it just you guys just calling up friends or was it kind of sanctioned by like your, where you were working? No, it is actually, it's truly a wild story. Uh, I don't know that there's much precedent for it, especially the very first one. So the very first one was supported uh, by Geisinger Health Plan, actually. So I was working at the health plan at the time and, and it was supported because it sort of snowballed so quickly. So at first it was like, hey, we, and it, the true story was we had friends from the Cleveland Clinic and I think friends from one other hospital in the region coming and they were staying at my house for a weekend. And so we said, hey, we've got really interesting friends. They're doing some cool stuff, sort of same peers as us at different hospital systems. We don't get a chance to hang out and talk to them and get the real story of what's happening. You sort of see the press releases and people are like, oh, I know how press releases work. Like, is that really true? And so it's weird to see like famous hospital system uh, doing all this amazing stuff. And you get some of that jealousy or FOMO of like, dang, I wish we were doing cool stuff. And then you hear from the person who actually works there of like, oh yeah, that's my boss that announced that they're actually leaving the organization because it's a dumpster fire and it's not working out. And you're like, oh dang, like I had no idea. And so they were, uh, Cleveland Clinic friends were coming out to Geisinger, spending the weekend at my house. And we sent out a, we, I think it was either LinkedIn or Instagram, our very first sort of ad. And it was basically like, hey, Cleveland Clinic, Geisinger, a couple of the fellows from the programs are coming together for a weekend. If anybody wants to join us on a Saturday morning, we'll sort of do breakfast together. And we put out like a Google Sheet RSVP and like 28 people RSVP'd pretty quickly. And we were like, wait a minute. So we went to the health plan uh, CEO at the time and said, hey, we have a really interesting group now coming together. Uh, it's going to be on a Saturday randomly. So do you think security would let us in the building? 
uh, and thank goodness he said yes. I don't think he fully knew that we were going to bring in the uh, cornhole game, like bags. <laughs> so we brought in like games. We cleared out the cafeteria. We made it super fun. We had some sort of activities um, to be able to describe what the challenges we were seeing in healthcare. Um, but the craziest part of the story was people we didn't know. So I like to say strangers on the internet literally rented cars in New York City and like lived in the city in Manhattan, work at awesome healthcare, recognizable healthcare tech startups at the time. And this is 10 years ago or so. Uh, so people we don't know had no affiliation to us in any way, shape or form, no means of transportation living in Manhattan, literally rented cars and drove out to Geisinger and just showed up at 9, 30, 10 in the morning. So I've been driving three and a half hours from New York to central middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, showed up, just walked in and were like, want to talk healthcare with you guys. Uh, and so it's just really fortunate for whatever we've said on the internet has somehow attracted the, what we call the kindest collection of healthcare talent, just incredible people who come together to say, Hey, it seems like you're doing something interesting in healthcare and I want to be part of it and been really blessed because of it. That's amazing. Uh, you found product market fit like real early, which is amazing. I mean, that's awesome. And um, I, it's like human to human fit. I think there was no product <laughs> at the point. It was like how, Dr. Feinberg, who uh, has gone on to do amazing things, obviously, and was doing amazing things then. He was the CEO of Geisinger. We were showing him pictures. And uh, as we went through the fellowship programs, we got to be close to him. He joked in the very beginning, he was like, all these people showed up to have lunch with Antoine. Uh, <laughs> like, what is, like, what is the magic here, guys? Uh, but we, and so people keep, continuing to, to show up to have lunch with Antoine, which is, I think, all of us at this point. That's awesome. And I think that also shows that, you know, I think we get caught up, especially when you're trying new things, just get caught up in trying to make it like super polished, whatever. And like, oh, we have to have all of our ducks in a row. I mean, I think you said, you know, you just had a Google sheet that you were putting it in, you just put out an ad and just, you know, you were surprised and you kind of just figured out on it, you know, as it went. And now look at you, now you're, now you're throwing these massive three day events. Yeah, massive might be an, uh, <laughs> a part of the AI hype train, but uh, <laughs> large healthcare events, uh, we've been really fortunate. That's, that's awesome. So, so how long did it take to go from like the road trips to uh, what you guys are doing now? Pretty quickly, actually. So we're, we're, uh, we, we have that meme that we send between a, a couple of us who help run the advancement of uh, man of action. And so sometimes we like misspell uh, emails or we just put out very crappy website uh, landing pages or whatever it is. Uh, but like man of action, it was just like, hey, I got it done. Like it's just, it's kind of that Google sheet theory, mm -hmm. but like it's just done. So between the first two, the first road trip we had in central Pennsylvania, the next one we had down at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and right at that situation, or right at when we started to see like, hey, 40 and 50 people are showing up to this, we immediately said there should be a, a longer event and more time spent with these people. It's unfortunate that we just have a couple hours on a Saturday morning. Like, what if we could actually spend two or three days together? And so it was within four or five months uh, that we said, we've picked a, a random city right outside of Orlando, Florida. We've found an innovation center and we were like, I don't know, they have the name innovation in their word. Like they should probably be down for supporting something. And so we found a Lake Nona. It's a interesting 
pre-built, pre-planned community built around technology and had some interesting components to it. So we reached out to them. They said yes, uh, and we set up a, a site and place and said, we'll call it the Young Health Leader Summit because at the moment we're all young and health leaders and we think there's good energy here. Uh, so very quickly uh, after those first road trip experiences, we set up the Young Health Leader Summit and learned a, a ton in year one and year two. And now we're in year five. So we're hoping that we've learned enough that we, we have a, a really good program and experience this year. That's amazing. Um, I think that, yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. And I think, so like, what is, I mean, this might be a dumb question, but what is like, so when you, if somebody's trying to set up like an event like this, right, like a multi-day event with people kind of coming, what is some advice that you could give them as to like, you know, pitfalls to look out for, or like, I mean, there's only so much planning you can do because, you know, life happens, but uh, is there any advice you, you have for people? I'd probably say quit your day job first <laughs> as I'm uh, managing it uh, without having done that. Uh, so uh, being honest and open, I've been really fortunate throughout a career. Some of it, I think, is just personality traits. Some of it is being willing to have crucial conversations and understanding sort of that human dynamic. And so I've been really fortunate to have incredibly supportive employers, so much so currently that uh, the fifth edition of the Young Health Leader Summit is going to be held on SAS campus. Uh, so I have true home court advantage <laughs> from a, a, a private campus that's incredible. It inspired the Google campus. Uh, it has swimming pools and haircut facilities and massages and soccer tables and all the like amenities. Uh, the actual building that it was in was uh, Tony Stark's office in Iron Man 3. And so it truly is this amazing uh, award-winning food location, just awesome place in the world. And they don't do a lot of third-party events. And so to have our event hosted there is uh, such a, a fortunate experience. And people just raved about it last year. We're hosting it in the same location. First time going back to a, a location. So we're really excited <laughs> about that. So I would say there's... Uh, so the first advice would probably be to... Uh, I would say be intentional and i'll probably use that word a few times but we try to really inspire people or promote the thoughtfulness of doing the things that you want the world to look like and so i'd say I, we have noticed sort of an uptick and i think it's because of revenge spending after covid so there is an uptick in sort of healthcare uh in-person group type opportunities networking events or things most of them you, you pay to get into uh and so I think there's some, some people will probably take advantage from a business aspect perspective of pay to play to get into this opportunity. Others, I think we really started this event based on a couple of theories. It was the original words were learn, share, and do. And so that was the three days. So learn was the first day. And it was all about how can we learn from the best of other industries? And so we actually did... Uh, tours. And so it started in Lake Nona. We did the next year's event in San Francisco, which one of our claims to fame was the year that Tim Cook said that no one, no outsider would visit the Apple campus. We actually got a group tour uh, for Young Health Leader Summit attendees to go and tour for a couple hours the Apple campus at Apple Park, which was amazing and incredible and inspiring. I'm still inspired by such white walls <laughs> and uh, all the like pristine elements of it. But the 
So learn was day one was all about how do you learn from other industries? Can you go on tours? Can you go see and actually physically learn from places like Adobe, the Chan Zuckerberg bio hub? We went to a technology home that had uh, monitors on the toilets that would automatically upload to your dog, like crazy stuff. And so some of that was just inspiring, like what tools do other leaders use? The second day was share. And so how do you put people in spaces to actually share what's going on? How do you create safe space for conversation? The things that we thought about for that and that we've tweaked over the years where name badges seem to be a, a real highlight. Uh, it, at most events that you go to, you have your very formal name and title and company. And there's every single person that we've talked to has that awkward experience where someone's come up to them at an event, looked at their name badge and been like, nope, like you're not it, like your title's not high enough or I can't sell you anything or you're not the organization I want to talk to and they just walk away. And so for the first couple of years, we did no name badges that seemed to work all right until we got a little bit bigger. So once you hit about 150 attendees or so, it gets harder to remember people's names or you don't run into. So now we do name badges that you write whatever you feel comfortable with. And so people have written just their first names. They've written first name and I, I have a podcast. I'd like you to be a guest. They've written first name and I'm looking for a job in X. They've written whatever you feel interested uh, or whatever you want to write. Uh, there's been a little bit of magic in that as well as casual dress code. And so that has been a real game changer. So when you get the chief medical officer of some huge health system and they just have their first name and it's Brooke and then they have shorts and a t-shirt on, it's a much different conversation that they have either as a panelist on stage or in one of the small group conversations where we put 30 or 40 people in a room and have them discuss things. It's just a much, much different experience sitting next to Brooke instead of sitting next to Dr. X with the high title and fancy suit. Um, and so the, the second day was all about sharing. And then the last day, which is the most important day was all about doing. And so we said, if you could learn something from other industries, if you could share what you've learned, and then if you could actually go out and do something, uh, that would be really important. And so the doing has turned into a first of its kind, unique, uh, actual live 24 hour case competition type structure which we actually do a community impact competition. And so on the second day now at noon, we give atten we put attendees into groups. They don't know about the groups beforehand, sit in groups. We give them physical cash, which only one group has ever lost that cash. Someone put it in default mode, just stuck it in a backpack and was like, I don't know where it went. Luckily we found it. We had people like searching under chairs and all the things. Um, we give them physical cash and send them out in the community with no rules for 24 hours and say, you have until tomorrow, Wednesday at noon to come back and spend the money in a way that you think is going to make the most difference in the world. And the groups have just done incredible things. Even the first year, they, the money was small. Uh, it was $300 or $500 per group. Uh, the first group that got it drove, started driving, like got in an Uber together, started driving down the road, saw a news van on the side of the street, stopped, went over to this like ABC 11 news van and said, hey, we're part of this community impact group. We're doing this unique competition. We have $500. We're looking for a way to spend it in the community. The news van doubled it on the spot. So it gave them $500 more. So now they had a thousand. And then they went out and did just amazing things with it. They partnered with a local veterans hospital and with a marketing department at a local university. And they have a, a Veterans Day um, opportunity that solves social isolation for veterans in the hospitals that's still ongoing to this day. So five years later, there's a unique partnership between this marketing department and a veterans hospital uh, at a local college to 
you have this ongoing partnership where they deliver meals and they deliver balloons and cards and they have these prompts that ask veterans about the best day of their life. Uh, just incredible, heartwarming stories. Um, and so that was the do part. And so it was a really long answer to what advice would I give? But the advice that I would give is we've been really fortunate. We started out saying, how can we create intentional safe space so that we had something like that as we were going through careers? How do you create that space and have those conversations and make meaningful friendships? And then how do you really make impact in the world and do good wherever you are? And so my biggest advice, if someone wants to start an event, uh, you can reach out to me. I can give you some of the lessons learned throughout the years. We've definitely screwed up uh, probably more than we've got it right. And so we've got some real lessons learned. But the biggest thing I would say is just to really make it what you want it to be. And so if it's making community impact and donating dollars to the industry, figure that out. If it's bringing people together to network in a new way, like make sure it's about that, but have an intention to start stay true to that no i like that and first of all that's amazing uh, we're, i'm gonna need to ask you maybe we can go into a couple more stories on the do part where i mean to do that in 24 hours to me is like insane like and, and that's kind of going back to the initial point that we made that you made i mean that we you you talked about is just start and do something right like we yeah. i think we there's too much analysis paralysis but like these people had literally 24 hours and they just made it work and they started a program that is still continuing to this day which is insane. Like some, I mean, some places don't, can't even get that going. And like, it takes like a year of back and forth. Yeah. It's a, it's so the joke, the ongoing joke in five young health leaders summits is they always give me the mic. Uh, if I try like not to speak at the event, I try to make sure everyone else gets the, the spotlight and I want to be behind the scenes. Uh, and I love just being around people. I have like golden retriever energy. And so I love just being around and uh, having fun with everyone. It's like healthcare friends fest is what it really probably should be called at this point. But the joke every year is everyone gives me the microphone when it comes time for community impact competition, just because they love seeing me cry and stand there in front of people and be like, shoot. Uh, Cause it gets me every year, but it really is part the real goal of it. It's not a ton of, especially in the grand scheme of things, it's not a ton of money. It's not a ton of time. And it's a whole new group of strangers, usually in a city that you don't live in. And so those are sort of the parameters, but the real goal of it is, and the real thing that we've seen from an impact perspective is two things. One is people realize after that experience that without a lot of time, without a lot of money, and without a group of people who knew each other before, you can do a lot of good in the world. And so there's that spark that, hey, I didn't have a lot of time. I didn't have a lot of money. I had no idea who these people were. I had no idea where to drive, but I still did something that was really positive and it's going to make a difference in people's lives. There's that spark that I can go back to my community. And actually, now when I drive home, just thinking about it, I pass two or three nonprofits on my way. Like I've never even stopped by and seen if they had a need for some of the skills that I have, or I've never volunteered at this place that I see a billboard for all the time in my own hometown. And so that spark of, I can do a lot of good in a little bit of time with a little bit of money, a little bit of expertise has been life-changing for hopefully people and communities of, I can do a lot of good with the time and resources that I have in my day-to-day -day life. And then on the career side, which is really interesting, uh, we've had people that are prominent or up and coming hospital administrators that in that group of people, when they're handed that envelope of cash and when they're sitting around nine other strangers, you have a group of about 10 they're willing to like fight that group of strangers to be, I'm going to, we have to spend this money on pediatric mental health. 
like the one thing that's going to make the biggest difference in the world is kids' mental health. That's where the money has to go. Here's why, blah, blah, blah. And then there's that realization in their own mind of like, man, I was willing to fight these nine strangers to like make sure that all our time and money is spent in kids' mental health. And my day job has nothing to do with kids' mental health. I don't even care about some of the stuff I'm doing right now. And so we've actually seen them year over year choose different careers after and say, all right, I need to get closer to the kids' mental health space. And maybe there's some cool technology startups, or maybe there's a different hospital who has a bigger department in pediatric mental health. And so that's been really fun is just the realization that people have that you can do a lot of good without a lot of resources. Um, and then that you can align your day job with what you want to see the world look like has been really meaningful. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, just listening to that is kind of like um, empowering because I think that's one thing that gets lost in medicine. And, you know, kind of what you mentioned, right? You know, you have a bunch of people that don't know each other, don't have enough time, don't have the resources, but you find a way to make it work. That's kind of like healthcare medicine. Like that's kind of what we're doing in medicine, but we don't realize it. Like we, you know, we obviously went to school and we all this, we have whole infrastructure, but when we break it down to it, that's kind of what we're doing. And sometimes we just get caught up in this, like, oh, you know, nothing's going to happen. And it's like this echo chamber that kind of just is, it's really hard to get out of. I mean, I can, I've just from personal experience, it's really hard to get out of. And one of the things that really helped me, and this is kind of going to your point of just meeting other people in different hospitals or different areas of the country, or just talking to other people, because you start realizing, okay, fine. A, yeah, all of us are having the same problems, but then also you start seeing like, other people are attacking it in different ways or they have different mindsets and this and that. And you see like, hey, we solve this issue here. We solve this issue here. We solve this issue here. And you're like, holy crap, like it's possible, right? And just knowing that you can do something and just getting that little kernel in your brain, like, yes, it's possible is so life-changing. A hundred percent. It's all about inspiring others as you get inspired. And so I said in the beginning of that sort of accidental entrepreneurism of being fortunate that one of the people that I articulated to, hey, I don't know if I want to be a hospital administrator forever, mentioned it just in casual conversation of, oh, I had a friend who was a hospital administrator and now does X, whatever it was. Maybe it was on the pharma side or maybe it was at health insurance or whatever it was. That didn't even register to me at one point in my career, but going through a master of healthcare administration program was even labeled and referred to as a, the MHA, the H was hospital. So it was like master of hospital administration. And so for some reason, somehow just every single part of the healthcare ecosystem in my mind at a certain time in life was hospitals. And so thinking that I did this master of hospital administration degree, I'm now a hospital administrator. I don't know that I, I want to continue to do that. Just starting to understand that, oh, there's health insurers. And once you start reading about health insurers, you're like, wait a minute, they have even more money than hospitals or like more money passes through. Like some of the health insurers are huge. And then you're like, wait a minute, pharma has like that. So those ecosystems that you don't even know exist sometimes are bigger than the current ecosystem you're in, uh, which is wild to think about. So just that those sparks, like you said, is can really be meaningful to a lot of people who just don't think about that. Yeah, I mean, um, I had a very similar experience where I came out and there was really, I only really had three, two options, right? Go to retail or go to the hospital. I went to the hospital and that was like my, again, I work in healthcare. I studied to be in healthcare. And for me, that was like my blinders, right? Those are the two options. I'm in hospital yep. and I'm going to 
stay in hospital and die there, whatever, right? Like that, that was my goal. I did not think that I could go into tech. I did not know I could do anything non-clinical because I had a clinical degree, right? Like what kind of crazy person, you know, throws that away, right? Like, like it wasn't until like, hey, I started my own thing and kind of showed me like, hey, I do have a place in here. And really what happened was I, one of the students asked me like, hey, you have an awesome job, which I did. I really liked my job. And he asked me, like, I could see myself doing your job for the rest of my life. Could you see yourself doing your job for the rest of my life? And I couldn't lie to myself. And I audibly said no, right? Like, it was just like one of those things where I didn't even realize what I was doing, why I was doing it. And it wasn't, again, I didn't hate anything I was doing or whatever. I really liked it. And I had to figure out why did I say no? I didn't know why I said no. I just knew that it wasn't kind of going back to your point, right? Like, I was passionate about what I was doing. I really liked it. But it was something that was missing. And it was... Then I had to kind of do some soul searching and really realize like when I was building my startup and I was getting paid no money, you know, kind of going through, like I was fighting for something, not getting paid anything and putting like blood, sweat and tears in it. Like there's something to that, right? Like I was doing that for free. Like imagine what I could do if I was getting paid for this, like how much farther I could go. And that was kind of like, you know, like, okay, I need to really explore this and really try to figure this out. And my wife, God bless her soul, uh, you know, she was there to listen to me kind of panic because, you know, my whole life kept getting to this point and I'm there and I know there was a little bit of like, oh, am I ungrateful for what I am? Like, no, I'm like, should I be like thinking this? It was just like a lot of things going through my head. So I think like, you know, kind of going back to what you guys are building, like it's good to talk and good to have those kind of conversations because I think a lot of people are really afraid to have them. Like yeah. I had to have that conversation by myself. It would have been, I think I would have cut years off my job search if I just had somebody else. I mean, I know for a fact I did because once I found people that kind of made the same transition that I did, literally it like supercharged me. It like moved yeah, me up. hundred percent. And so like, it's, it's really valuable. Like just that, I mean, if it was, even if it was just that little part alone, I think it's, I think everyone, we all deserve to do something we would love. And I think there is a possible, there is possibilities out there. It's just a matter of opening your mind and seeing things outside of kind of like your blinders that you have. I love that. I, um, there's a, a really popular and probably know him, a uh, really popular person on the like social media channels that uh, gets a lot of press right now for the, just the quick clip in an interview that says like the advice to follow your passion is stupid. Uh, it's like, it's terrible advice. You should find something that you can get paid well at and do what, whatever. Or saying like, you should find something kind of you can do the bare minimum at and then like follow your passions outside of work. Like you can't live. And I, I love what you just said of you should, you almost like you deserve to love what you do. Uh, and I think it's point in time too. And so I think the advice, I think the, the bad part of the advice is like, you have to love your current job essentially. And I don't think that's true for a lot of us at certain points in time, like you need a job to provide for your family or to provide for yourself to to do different things. And so there's a lot of jobs that we take that are stepping stones or that are getting us. But the, what I do believe is you should have, you should be on the path to having a job you love. And so I think it's unfair to say you're, and, and it's not advice for everyone as well. There's people that will have a job to have a job and find all their passions outside of that job. And that's wonderful. But I think for the vast majority of us, and I would also say for the vast, probably all of the healthcare world, we should be at least on a path and have people around us that are supporting us on a path to have a job we love. 
because like you said, the, the healthcare world is so big. There's so many aspects to it. There's so many opportunities that I think if you, we've said Advancement League, the ultimate goal is to truly be cheerleading as a service. Uh, and so if you wake up one day at whatever age and decide your life calling is to be a dentist, like right now you're shunned from your current professional association because they don't do dentistry and you're shunned from the sort of work benefits that you have now and things because you're not providing value anymore. But you should have a group of people that really cares and says, hey, I've got a friend who's a dentist. Maybe they could talk to you for a minute, tell you a little bit about the path that, like you said, accelerate that maybe years or weeks or months faster for you. And so that cheerleading as a service theory um, and thesis of how do we truly support people to do the things they want to do and how do you help them get there faster is what's really exciting. Yeah, no, I mean, 100%. Like, I think for me, like, you know, just being in the pharmacy profession, um, there's a there's just the nature of us is very like timid and we don't we're like kind of reserved back and like you know it, and i hate the word unconventional like oh i took the unconventional path i took the unconventional path and i and i was like i was talking to somebody i'm like screw this i want to make the unconventional conventional like it's ridiculous that we have to label things like you should just do what you like that whatever you like is conventional to me that's what it is right like and that's all it is to it and like i just i'm not a huge person on labels in general i think that's also little part of it but like i just because when you say something is unconventional you're like you're, a you're you're already when you when somebody says oh it's unconventional oh it's gonna be too hard right like people already think like oh that person must be extraordinary or this and that or or you know or it's the wrong thing to do right like you you are like you know wild like you shouldn't be do that like i think we they do a disservice like we do a disservice like oh i took the i took the off the beaten path or this and that like you know what yeah, you, you might have been off the beaten path, but now the path is beaten and people can yeah. now follow you, right? Like, I mean, like, that's like, one of my goals is like, to just show people like, I am nothing special. Literally, I am not, I wasn't the top of my class. I wasn't anything. Like, I'm literally nothing special. And if I can do it, you 100% can do it. But I, I want to argue against that point, number one, because there's so many people who love and appreciate you uh, for what you do and things. And so that, that ability to connect with people and to be uh, inspiring and to inspire others and to tell your story and to be brave and vulnerable to do it is absolutely special, number one. Uh, and number two, agree with the, uh, the broader point of the unconventional attitude um, that there's, it's interesting when you place almost that limiting label on yourself, you start to feel like, oh, I have to be extraordinary or I'm not going to do that because that person must have known someone or that person must like you. You start to put all those limiting factors in it. One of the, a good friend of mine gives really good advice. A lot of people limit themselves before the opportunity happens. And so you don't allow yourself to have that opportunity. It's, there was someone we were speaking to one time saying, I don't know if I could get this sort of crazy, amazing opportunity, prestigious sort of government type job because I couldn't live in Washington, D.C. And just the way they were saying it was kind of like, I would never be able to do this, even though it would be life changing and amazing and this one year type experience. Uh, and so they just articulated all the ways like I couldn't do this. And the person, a good friend of mine just stopped them and was like, but you like you haven't had that opportunity to say yes or no to it yet. And so figure out a way to get in a position where you could say yes to that. Like if it came, you'd figure out how to make it happen. 
Uh, and so some of us don't even allow ourselves to have some opportunities because we put that label on ourselves of, oh, I could never qualify for that, or I couldn't do that, or that would never work with that. And there are obviously are some limiting factors of geography or whatever it might be. But for the most part, we, we can do any, and we've proven it through the Young Health Leader Summit and the Community Impact Competition. You can do so much incredible work in 24 hours uh, that if you just multiply that times your lifetime, there's a lot of good that you can do wherever you are and with whatever you have. 100%, I think. Um, I, that's when, like, that's part of the supercharging is uh, when people that were doing what they were doing told me, like, you don't need stepping stones. You are ready to go. And I was like constantly setting barriers like, oh, I, I can't do it. I can't do this. I can't do that. And then like, but to just have that, have somebody else believe in you, which sounds dumb, right? Like you should believe. It's really easy to say, believe in yourself, believe in yourself, believe in yourself. Like it's, you know, it's great, great. Like the people that do awesome, but the majority of majority of people are not like that, right? And, you know, to like curate a group of people, kind of like what you guys are doing and and allowing people to dream, allowing people to talk, allowing people to share. I think sometimes people are afraid to talk about what they want to do. Like, you know, like for me, like I tell people like the crazier the idea, the more I want to hear it because I'm sick and tired of hearing the same status quo stuff. Like I'm, I'm, I'm over it. Like, just tell me your crazy idea, what you want to do, how you can change the world because that gets me going. Like, okay, you're thinking like this. If you can think like that, why am I not thinking like that? Like, why am I yeah. putting myself in a box? Oh, another friend, uh, I've had great, calls with friends lately one shared a quote that i love that i think is right in line with that thinking where he said so many people are scared to articulate their ideas or share their ideas because they think their ideas are going to get stolen uh, and so potentially like, especially on the entrepreneur side of the world of like i don't know if i want to tell everyone this because they might go and run with that and he said uh, the quote that he saw that really resonated that he shared was if your idea is worth anything, like if your idea is really good, if it's a good idea, you'll have to ram it down people's throats. That was essentially the thing. So I was like, don't be scared to share your idea because if the idea is any good, you're going to have to like beat people over the head with it essentially, which I think is so true. Like that opportunity to dream big. Some of us are never even asked about our dreams. And so just having that, we actually have, if you sign up for the Advancement League as a member, the very first thing that you fill out is a dream. It's literally called the dreams form. And what we realized is so many times you join something and it, you get essentially told sort of what you get. And so you pay, you sign up as a member and like, here's the resources you now have access to, or here's the things, but it's very one directional. It's this company has created this stuff uh, that you and the other people who are paying or signing up now have the dreams form from what we've seen is the very first opportunity that we've tried to create that exists out there in the world of your dreams back at that company. And right now, to be honest, we don't know exactly what to do with them. Uh, a lot of it is one of, I think as AI gets better, we'll start to figure out how to turn that free form into the free form text that you can write your dreams into something super meaningful. Right now, we've been really fortunate uh, in smaller numbers that we can do sort of a personalized touch of, I can read through your dreams form, you really want to work in this space. You really want to have this impact on the world. We happen to know some people who work in that space or who are having that type of impact in the world. Here's how you can go meet them. Um, so we've created some of that personalization, but that dreams form essentially says, what's your long-term goal, either career-wise or life-wise? What type of life do you want to have? Maybe some of the people that fill out the dreams form are like, I want to live in Europe half the year and I want to live in the United States half the year. And 
I don't know that the current path I'm on would ever allow for that to happen. And so what is that? But just articulating, like, what do you want out of life? Are there certain skills, um, even from a professional sort of resource standpoint of what skills outside of hard hospital or health plan type skills do you want? People have written like, I want to learn how to make crepes and I want to learn how to like make waffles better or whatever it is. But so it's been very empowering from our side and from the individual member feedback that we've gotten to say, somebody asked about my dreams and it seems like they care about them. I love that. And I, you know, kind of going back to the idea, like, you know, I love hearing ideas because I would have never thought of that. And I feel sad that I never, I, why didn't I think of that? Right. Cause that makes so much sense. And I think that, you know, I know we're over time, I'm sorry, but you know, this is such an amazing conversation. We'll wrap it up real quick, but that's amazing, man. Um, so the so what the event you guys are doing like who who what what is who what type of people are you looking for you know how can they reach out to you how can they sign up like let's go over through all that real quick yeah i appreciate that we we get some uh not backlash uh we've been fortunate to attract incredible people but there's probably some limiting factor to the word young and so it's called <laughs> the young health leader summit which is why we've we've consciously gone to yhls event in uh, quite a bit of the branding because it's become more about the health impact side. And so it's the YHLS health impact event. Uh, on the Young Health Leader Summit side, though, we say young and young at heart. And so definitely it probably trends a little younger, especially the first year you attracted like only young people. The well, so first five or so years of your career. So MHA students or MBA students, people interested in health from a, a graduate student perspective and then first few years of a career. The second year, we attracted that same group plus a few people who wanted to mentor them or who were interested or, hey, I have this person who's going and I want to be part of it too. Uh, now we have this really interesting mix of people where we have the most senior executives of recognizable main stage speakers at all the big events in the healthcare world. And so we've got some of those. We've got Forbes 30 under 30 list people. We've got brand new startup interesting MHA type student person. We have physician executives, we have nurses. So essentially it's for anyone who identifies as young or young at heart and who really cares about the future of health and that we don't think there's an age range. Uh, we say that the event is really for if you look at yourself and you're like, I'm a good vibes person, that's like the check. Like if you have good vibes generally, we would love to have you at our event. Um, and so if it's early in your career and you're looking for collaborators, friends, people to bounce ideas off of, if it's later stage in your career and you're looking for ideas, you're looking for people to recruit to your company, you're looking to mentor people, you're looking to give back your knowledge and experience, uh, there's definitely a place for you. So Young Health Leader Summit, you've heard it here, is for everyone. Although with that asterisk of uh, everyone that has good vibes and we haven't had to kick anyone out yet, but that day may come someday. That's why Antoine, we say like stays in the gym so much. <laughs> He's our, our bouncer for the, the day that we have to kick out the non-good vibes people. Uh, and then you can directly go to our website. It's www.advancementleague.org slash YHLS. That will get you directly to the event overview and summary and things, or you can reach out to myself or Antoine, it's either Alex or Antoine at advancementleague.org. Um, and so you can email us as well. And we're, we're suckers for uh, people and stories and giving out discount codes. We've been really fortunate to have great sponsors this year. And so if you're looking to come to the event and you say, hey, I got to figure out how to get there, send me an email, alex at advancementleague.org, and we'll make sure you can join 
our friends in Raleigh, North Carolina. And then I think you might have asked just dates and time. So July 31st, uh, it's a Monday until, so July 31st, Monday until August 1st at noon is the main portion of the programming. So if you just want to come for that and you want to see panels, you want to participate in the conversations, we do a lot of intermixing of uh, small group conversations. And so it's not an event where you'll just sit in the back and listen to people. You'll sit in the back and listen to someone for kind of TED Talk style, 12 or 15 minutes, and then you'll actually be part of the conversation for an hour or so. And then you'll go back. And so really good time to share your thoughts and things. Um, be around. It's just an incredible mix of people. And then a little bit more programming Tuesday morning, and then we break for the 24-hour community impact competition. And so we end on Wednesday at around noon with a pitch competition where the groups come back and say, here's how we spent the money. Here's why we think it made a difference in the world. Here's how we would do it in our home states back where what we what we learned from this 24 hours. And we have an awesome group of judges who go and deliberate for a few minutes and then come back and award a winner. And uh, it's always fun. There's always tears. There's always just incredible things that happen in the local community. And so we always joke we're a shell company for community impact. And so all of the other stuff is fun and awesome. And we were fortunate to attract incredible speakers, including this year, Sonia Basarik. Uh, we'll call her out specifically, she's at the Department of Health and Human Services, the AI program lead. Um, so she's two people away from President Biden. She reports to someone who reports to President Biden, AI program lead for huge government agency on the healthcare side, often doesn't speak at conferences or like anyone from HHS. You sometimes see the secretary of HHS and you kind of never see anyone else. And so they gave her permission to come to the Young Healthier Summit. That's why we felt like we made it this year. We were like a government form was filled out and they said yes, which recognizes us as a real event uh, and a real thing. So she's going to give a, a keynote about AI and have a fireside chat around. Uh, and the person asking questions works in uh, AI for mental health. And so I'm going to ask some really pressing questions around what's real, what's not, what's actually working, how are standards, when are they coming out, what are they going to look like? So incredible speakers, incredible people. Uh, and then the, the real selling point clearly is shorts in North Carolina in the summer. So you get to like hang out with your friends. We do a welcome party at my literal house, um, which is pretty fun. Uh, last year, there was like chief physician officer of Geisinger, Dr. Sook was giving my son, uh, my four-year-old son as he was wandering the house, uh, just squirting um, whip cans of whipping in his mouth. And so every time <laughs> so we have these like magical mix of high profile healthcare leaders, there's spraying cream at my four-year-old son to keep him up of all ours and then he didn't get to go have fun. So Hope you just really fortunate to attract incredible people. Awesome. And then one last question before we head out: What advice you give yourself uh, when you when you're gonna as you career? Hard to do. There's so much hard to give just one piece. And I've been fortunate. I think I'd love to end up in the same spot. Fortunate to have people doing the relating. Excited to be here on the phone and on video with you. And so I don't think I would change anything. But if I had to give myself advice, it would be probably two things. One is just mission. I think that was kind of goes to the context of what you said, of just giving yourself permission to explore other avenues. Or Sometimes that permission to yourself, you mentioned it, of just being guilty. Like, oh, I got everything I really wanted this, I have it, and now I'm not grateful for it if I look at other ways or start thinking of other things. And so just the permission to say, this is how I feel. This is the I have that got me to this point. Uh, but maybe I need different experiences to get me to the next point. I think that permission to give yourself uh, space and exploration, I think, is one thing that I would I would give. And then the other piece of advice is to find people who cheer for you. 
uh, either look for them or find them or recognize them or, and the, the advice is partly to yourself is to, if you have to look for those people that you should become those people as well. Uh, I'm in situations as I've navigated and traversed the healthcare ecosystem from sort of the hospital injurer to global company. Uh, I got like pharma and venture capital left on my like, monopoly list or whatever to get all the, the spaces, but there's been experience where I I'll tell just a real quick story. I, um, left one job, absolutely loved, loved the the experience of people, all the things for certain circumstances left the job. When I went and told boss that my boss time that leaving the job said, she said, great opportunity for you, all good things. So of course, was all the great things. Like, this is great for you. We'd love to have you here. Love to have you here at a late time in the future and see why you make decisions and all the things. She literally, her and her husband and her family literally took my family out to dinner to celebrate me getting a job. Would require to have to recruit for the person to have like all the native components of me leaving at the time, leaving all the things. Like that was the response, and that like me tear up. Uh, like I'll probably cry because I always cry at microphone in front of me for some odd reason. But uh, like that's the response. Like a leader in healthcare, literally her husband took me out, me and a band kid, which was wild. Three kids under the age of like eight at that time. Um, um, we love getting to know you. Here's all the things. I would go back to work for her in a heartbeat. Like, I would recommend her to, for anyone to go work for her in a heartbeat. All those things. experiences were like. Oh, I was leaving because XZ, and here's what hurt to everyone. So find those people that are boss that are for you and that celebrate that will take you out there when you leave a team. And then I think the real advice in that is to be that person. No matter their passion. One hundred percent. I think once you get to the top, make sure you drop the letter um, because you got to remember where you came from. And no, thank you so much. No, I appreciate you being just your time. Um, yeah, no, thank you so much. This was a conversation. Got me, got me all out now. I got not brought, <laughs> a good way to charge. I'm charged. I love cases like this. It's a flow life. Uh, right now, I'm on a high. Thank you. So I think so. Yeah. I appreciate you on your pre-platform build and all the, the people that, that support you and will support it. So, thank you. Thank you.